Thank you, Justin. Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you. Uh, it's been three and a half years since I was with you last time, but uh, um, it's good to see uh, old friends and, and uh, meet some new, new folks here. So thank you so much for your partnership in the gospel with us. What you saw on the video and the grace of God that we have experienced is um, as a result of your partnership with us in the gospel, not only through uh, financial contributions, but through your prayers. Um, I, get, I get emails from some, some of you um, saying that you guys are praying for us, and that just means so much to us, that people back here are praying for us, praying for the kingdom of God to expand and the gospel to go forth in places like Tokyo, where there's just so few Christians. And um, so really, really appreciate your partnership in the gospel with us. I invite you to open in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. I will be reading from John chapter 4, verse, verses 1 through 30. And I believe the words of Scripture is going to be up on, sc- up on the screen. Uh, so whether it's in your mobile device or physical Bible or screen, uh, let's follow God's Word. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is God's word. I know Justin prayed for me, but I feel the need to pray again, so join me as I, as I pray. For the blessing of God upon his word. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul cries out and yearns for the living God. Father, we confess that we do not often long for you and thirst for you like that. But we know that you are our creator and our redeemer, and that you are the one only, you are the only one who can satisfy us completely. So would you allow us to experience you? Allow us to experience Jesus this morning as we hear your word afresh. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. For your glory, do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I talk about the passage, I want to show you a video that gives you a sense of just how many people live in Japan. 126 million people living in Japan, 35 million people in the greater Tokyo area, but that's just numbers, right? It's hard to picture. So this is a video that um, um, a friend of mine took at a train station in Tokyo. This this would be a typical... It should be moving. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, this is at a, one of the hub stations in Tokyo. And this goes on, typical Monday morning, uh, this goes on for a couple of hours. It's a lot of people, unending stream of people. In conservative, conservative estimate, 99.5%, or more than 99.5% of these people do not know Jesus. I have little access to the gospel unless someone brings it to them. 0.5% evangelical Christian population. And most of these people are working and living and pursuing things like financial success or physical beauty. Pursuing these things without realizing these things will not ultimately satisfy them. In my, uh, one of my friends in our neighborhood, uh, his wife is... A good friend of Emma's, uh, she's in Emma's Bible study. Uh, his name is Kay, and he is a CEO of a company, small company, but financially very successful. And, uh, but he told me that in the earlier days, when he took on the role as a CEO, he used to go to work every day and vomit in the bathroom because the pressure to succeed and to do well in his job was so immense that he had physical reaction every day uh, for a long time. 
And once he got financially successful, he realized that, you know, it's just more money. And it's not really, it doesn't mean much. Yes, he has a nice, nice, he has a nice place. He drives a nice car, but he, it, doesn't, it doesn't really mean much to him. Now, we have been living in Tokyo as missionaries to, to proclaim the gospel, to, to tell them the message of our hope in Jesus Christ uh, for the last three years, to tell these people about, about Jesus. But the work of mission is not just for missionaries like us who go overseas to tell them about Jesus but the mission of Jesus is for every Christian as well. Jesus has called each of us to be a part of this great commission. You guys, you guys know the great commission well, to make disciples of all nations. And he has invited us, each of his followers, to join him in his mission to proclaim the good news that the world so desperately needs to hear in Tokyo, in Fairfax, and everywhere else in the world. But I think for most of us, the reality is we have different things in our lives, different pursuits in our lives, whether it be our job or raising our family or kids' education or whatever it may be. These pursuits take up most of our time and most of our time and attention. And we know we're called to make disciples, but, but there just seems to be little time left for the mission that God has called us to, the mission that Jesus has invited us into. Oftentimes, we are mainly concerned about our, our own job performance or financial security or even our house or kids. That we don't, we don't constantly walk around thinking about the eternal destination of people all around us. So here's a question. What's going to push us out of our comfortable bubble and, and compel us to start taking risks? Start risking our comfort and finance and, and, and reputation for the sake of Jesus' mission. What's going to push us out? of? And what is going to give us and sustain the drive and motivation and even excitement to engage in the mission that Jesus invites us into? That's what we're going to find out from this passage. In today's passage, we, we see Jesus engaging in cross-cultural mission. But this message is not about... Here's what Jesus did, so that's all follow Jesus' example kind of message, even though there's certainly plenty of things that we can learn from Jesus' example. Jesus is doing remarkable things in this passage, but this message is not about methodology for mission, because, because I, don't, I don't believe that's John's intention in writing this passage. It's not primarily to give us an example to follow. But his aim was to show us the utter uniqueness of Jesus. How utterly unique Jesus is. And what drives us toward engaging in God's mission is not the example of Jesus, as helpful as it is, but, but seeing and experiencing how utterly unique Jesus is. And that's, that's what I want us to, to experience this morning. I know you guys have heard a message from John chapter 4. So many times I have. So I, I think our temptation is to just check out. Okay, here's another message from John chapter 4. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will allow us to experience Jesus as, as we hear his word. And so main point, main point that, that I want us to focus on this is this. Experiencing the utter uniqueness of Jesus propels us into his mission. This one-of-a-kind, breathtakingly beautiful kind of 
uniqueness of Jesus. That's what drives us into his mission. So we're going we're gonna to look at uh, how utterly unique Jesus is from this passage by asking two simple questions, and those are my two points. One, what does Jesus offer? And number two, how does Jesus love? And those are my two points this morning. So let's look at the first one. What does Jesus offer? Again, we see Jesus in a foreign country of Samaria. He has traveled with his disciples and long journey. So he's tired and he's thirsty and he's sitting by a well. His disciples have gone away to buy food. And so he's by himself. He's tired, thirsty. And a woman from Samaria comes to him. And so Jesus engages her in a conversation. He says, he asks her for a drink. Now, you guys, you guys probably know this, but the Jews and Samaritans, they didn't like each other, right? They had long history of religious and racial animosity toward one another. The Jews thought the Samaritans were basically half-breeds and unclean, so they didn't want to, they didn't have anything, to, they didn't want to have anything to do with them. So they didn't like each other. So the woman is surprised that Jewish man is talking to her. Plus, for a Jewish male to speak to a woman in public, that was considered a disgraceful thing to do. So a woman is doubly shocked that, that this Jewish man is talking to her, engaging her in a conversation. But from John's reader's perspective, though, there's another piece of information from this passage that makes this encounter even more remarkable. Verses 16 in 18, we find out that this woman has had five husbands, and now she's living with a man that she's not married to. So what does that tell us? Well, we're told uh, in verse 6 that she came to this well when? The sixth hour, around noon, when it was really hot outside. And she wasn't with anybody else. She came to the well by herself. Okay, most women would have gone either together and early in the morning or later in the evening or toward the evening when it was cooler with other people. But she was by herself. It was hot outside. So most commentators think this woman was most likely a social outcast, ostracized by her townspeople for her reputation as a, as a sexually immoral woman. And so this is the kind of woman Jesus is talking to. So Jesus is breaking all kinds of barriers to engage this woman in a conversation. He's breaking racial barriers, religious barriers, social and gender and moral barriers, all kinds of barriers to engage this woman. And to this woman, Jesus offers what he calls living water in verse 10. But the woman has no idea what Jesus is offering, so she's just confused, right? This crazy guy who has no bucket to draw water, and he, he's offering me water. What's with this guy? Sir, I have this bucket. You don't. Where are you going to get this water? So she's confused. Then Jesus tries to explain the nature of this water in verse 13. Let's look at verse 13 one more time. He says, Everyone who drinks of this water, referring to physical water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now we find out later in the Gospel of John in chapter 7 that this phrase, living water, when Jesus uses this phrase, he refers to what? The Holy Spirit. We find out later on in chapter 7. 
So what Jesus is offering here is not physical water, but the Spirit who will satisfy, not the physical thirst, but the spiritual thirst of our soul, of the human soul, again and again and again, all the way into eternity. That's what Jesus is offering here. But the woman still doesn't get it, right? She doesn't get what Jesus is offering. So she says, okay, that sounds good. Give me this water so that I will no longer be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. So she's still thinking in physical terms. She doesn't understand what Jesus is offering. So then Jesus says in verse 16, okay, go and call your husband and come here. What? Is he changing the subject? She's asking for water, and he tells her, go call your husband and come here. Now, Jesus is not changing the subject here. What, what Jesus is doing here is he's gently exposing this woman's spiritual thirst and how, she, how's this, how this woman was seeking to fill that thirst in all the wrong places. We're told that she has had five husbands, and that's a lot. Even by today's standard, that's, that's a lot of divorces. All of, all of these husbands, previous husbands, most likely have divorced her, and now she's living with a man she is not married to. So what that tells us is that this woman was desperately empty and thirsty inside, and she was desperately seeking to find satisfaction and happiness in men, in being loved and being accepted, and being wanted, and pursued by these men. In one of the um, old, passage, old, <laughs> old, passage, old Testament passages, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, you guys are probably familiar with this. God says, this is, this is God's definition of evil. My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. When God has offered himself as the source of, as, as living waters, as the source of our satisfaction and, and happiness, when God is offering himself as that, for us to then choose to find ultimate satisfaction and happiness in anything other than God, that's what the Bible calls evil. That's the definition of evil that God gives to us. And this is, that's exactly what this woman is doing, seeking to satisfy her thirst with broken cisterns called relationships with men that left her dry and thirsty and never satisfied. And that's why she's had five husbands, and now she's living with someone, someone else again. But before we judge her too quickly, let's ask ourselves, isn't this the picture of how we often live our lives as well? Ever since Adam and Eve chose to find life and happiness and satisfaction outside of God himself and left the Garden of Eden, mankind, all of us, has always had this innate thirst and longing for something greater and something better than what this world offers. And, and it could be a dream house or a job that you've always wanted, but then once you get it, once you get, oh, I really want this, but once you get it, it starts to lose the charm. And after a while, you start desiring something better, something newer. Or it could be marriage. You've been longing to get married, and finally you get married, 
But then marriage turns out to be not, not as exciting or not as satisfying as you thought it would be. It could be relationships or intimacy like this woman. I just read this report somewhere online. In 2016, people viewed 4.6 billion hours of porn. That's 524,000 years on one website. What does that tell us? It tells us that the people want intimacy, but people are seeking to quench that thirst with waters that always leave them dry and thirsty and empty and never ultimately satisfy. That's what tells us, what that tells us. Our broken cisterns could be, could be anything that makes us say, if I have this, or if I have that, I will be happy or satisfied or at least less depressed than I am right now. What is that thing for you? These things, some of these things are not necessarily evil in themselves, right? You know, it's okay to have a nice house, nice car. It's okay to have financial security. It's okay to have this and that, okay? And it's okay to have longing for something better. But this this sense of longing for something better that we have is meant to point us to someone far greater than any of these things. And when we make these things, created things, when we make these things the ultimate things from which we derive our satisfaction and happiness from, that's when, when it becomes evil and we'll never be satisfied. Now this year, um, I don't know how many people watched Super Bowl this year. That was pretty incredible. Okay, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but that was pretty incredible. Tom Brady, five-time Super Bowl winner. He's got what you know. He's got. He's married to a supermodel. Beautiful children, no doubt. Big house, mansion, fancy cars, everything, and fame and money that that very few people can achieve in a lifetime. Right? Very successful. One of the most decorated athletes in America, if not if not the world. But here's what's interesting to me. I was watching, um, maybe this interview is a few years old, but this interviewer is uh, praising Tom Brady for all all his accomplishments. But then Tom Brady's response was, but there's got to be more than this. Do Do you hear the thirst of his soul? He's got it all. Very few people can have what he has. But he says, there's got to be more to life than this. And so the interviewer asked, asked him, so what's the answer? The only, he, only thing he could say was, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus provides the answer for us right here. He says, I'm the one who can totally and completely satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. Because, because when you taste this water that I'm offering... It will fill you and satisfy you again and again and again, all the way into eternity. I'm the, I'm the source of your eternal satisfaction. That's what, that's what Jesus offers us, and he's offering this woman. Have you experienced this? Maybe you've been coming to church, but you haven't experienced this, this eternal satisfaction, this living water that Jesus is talking about. 
if that's you, I want, I want you to keep listening because Jesus is going to tell us how exactly he is going to do that. He's going to make this eternal satisfaction possible later on. So I want you to keep listening. And a woman at, at one point in this dialogue with Jesus asked Jesus this question. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Now Jacob's well at that point in the conversation had been around for at least a couple thousand years. And no doubt that well has satisfied the thirst of many, many thousands of people. That's pretty good. But Jesus here offers eternal satisfaction. This water, when we taste it, will never be thirsty again. Eternal satisfaction. So in fact, Jesus is saying, answering this question, this woman is asking, yes, I am greater than Jacob. I give you eternal satisfaction. So Jesus is utterly unique in what he offers, but his uniqueness is also revealed in how he loves. So that's the second question. How does Jesus love this woman, and how does he express his love for us? Do you see how gracious and patient Jesus is with this Samaritan woman to, to help this woman see her true need for this living water that Jesus is offering? What he does is he confronts this woman's sinfulness. But he does that in the most gracious possible way. Verse 16, Jesus tells her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answers him, I have no husband. And Jesus' reply to her was, You're right. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with right now, he's not your husband. So what you're saying is true. Jesus knows everything about this woman. Jesus sees right through her sinful, sexually immoral past, but there's no sense of self-righteousness in Jesus. There's no sense of condemnation. Like her, all, all, the, all the townspeople in her town ostracized her, condemned her. There's no, no condemnation Jesus has given this woman. This woman realizes, though, that, that there's something special about this man right? Uh-oh. Somehow, this guy knows my past. Isn't that scary? That would make me feel very uncomfortable. Someone comes to me, and I realize, this guy knows my past. So the woman, what she does is probably, all of us would do the same thing. What she does is she's, she tries to divert the subject, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Isn't that a funny statement? <laughs> Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Let's talk about the temple, shall we? We Samaritans think this mountain is the place to worship God, but you Jews say that the temple in Jerusalem, that's the place you ought to worship. Which is it? Okay, let's talk about the temple. I don't want to get personal. Jesus tries to get personal. She tries to divert the subject. I don't want to get personal. Let's talk about the temple. But then what Jesus does is Jesus goes along with her. He says, okay, you want to talk about the temple? I will talk about the temple. But you know what? It's not going to matter anymore. This time is coming. Look at verse 23. 
Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The woman tries to switch the subject to an abstract topic of the temple, but Jesus comes right back to her true need and says, the hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's saying the only way you will ever be satisfied is not by worshiping things that will never satisfy you. Man after man, relationship after relationship will leave you always dry and thirsty and never satisfied. The only way you will ever be truly and completely satisfied is by worshiping the true God and the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and truth. Later on, Jesus says, I am the truth. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm the one you need for your true satisfaction. I'm the one you need for you to be able to worship the true and living God and truly be satisfied. But how is this eternal satisfaction and the worship of the true God made possible? How is this offer of eternal satisfaction to this sinful woman and to us who who always seem to pursue broken cisterns all the time? How is this offer made possible? Well, Jesus hints at how that's, how that's possible in verses 21 and 23. Twice he says this phrase, the hour is coming. The hour is coming. Now, every time you see this phrase, the hour in the Gospel of John, when Jesus uses that phrase, Jesus refers to the hour of his death on the cross. So he's saying, when that hour comes, you will worship the living God and you will never be thirsty again. Do you want to know how Jesus loves this woman and how he makes this satisfaction, eternal satisfaction possible for us and for this woman? Do you want to know? This is it right here. The hour. Do you remember what Jesus cried out in that hour when he was on the cross? Jesus said, Jesus cried out, I thirst. Do you guys remember that? That cry of Jesus on the cross, I thirst, is only recorded in the Gospel of John. None of the other Gospels record that. But it, was, it wasn't just a physical thirst. I, I'm sure, yes, it was physically brutal, and he was thirsty. But there's far more than physical thirst, I think, that was going on when Jesus said, I thirst. Because the other Gospels tell us that before he said, I thirst, he said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Let's think about this. Jesus, who in all eternity past had this perfect relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Holy Spirit. The Father was the source of all his joy and happiness. He was truly loved. He was truly happy. And now, he's on the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said, I thirst. You know what that means for us? What he was experiencing was the ultimate spiritual thirst. Ultimate sense of separation from God. 
the source of all his joy. And he did that for us. He thirsted for us so that we will never be thirsty again. So that he can be living water that he is offering. He knows everything about our sinful past. He knows everything about you. He knows every single broken cistern that you've pursued in your life and you're pursuing in your life and you will ever pursue in your life. He knows everything about our sinfulness and he still says to us, I thirsted for you so that you will never be thirsty again. I thirsted for you so that you can have this living water. I'll hear Jesus say to you, I'll give you living water. You'll never have to go back to relationships again. You never go back, have to go back to house or your job or, or, or reputation or porn or anything else in this world again. You never have to go back to these things again to fill you and satisfy you. I will give you living water that can satisfy you and fill you again and again all the way into eternity. That's what Jesus offers us and this woman. And only when we see and taste and experience this kind of amazing love that Jesus has for us, only when we, we, we see that Jesus saw us to the deepest depth of our sinfulness and wickedness and still went to the cross to, to receive what we deserved so that we can, we can never be thirsty, so that we, we can have this living water. Only when we see that, how beautiful and how amazing this is, only when we see that and experience that do we stop seeking to be filled with waters that will never ultimately satisfy us. When Jesus finally reveals to this woman that he is the Christ, the Messiah, look at what this woman does, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Woman leaves her bucket. That's what she came here for, right? She came to draw water, but she got something else leaves her bucket and goes to the very people who despised her and called her names, but she doesn't care what he, who she's talking to because she sees something profoundly beautiful and amazing in Jesus. Come see a man who saw all my sinfulness and still treated me kindly as a person. Come see a man who knew everything that I've done and still offered me something so amazing. Can this be the Christ, can this be the Savior that we, we had been longing for? Later in this chapter, Joan tells us that many people from this town, from her town, came to faith in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus is calling us to be. Jesus said to his disciples later in the Gospel of John, he said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And that wasn't just for the disciples back then. That was for us. Jesus calls each of us to be a missionary like him. But it's only when we see what it costs him to give us this eternal satisfaction. Only when we see that and experience that do we feel compelled to leave our broken systems, leave our buckets, and tell others, come 
see Jesus. So let's ask ourselves, are we experiencing this joy and satisfaction, eternal satisfaction and happiness that Jesus alone offers? Is Jesus worth us throwing everything away to cling to? Is he worth all of that? Where are we seeking to be filled with broken systems that will leave us thirsty again? Let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to search our hearts and help us see where those things might be. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to do that. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to show us not only where those broken systems in our lives are, but, but also help us to see Jesus is so much better than all these things that we pursue. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to do that. And as we are filled with the love of Jesus, let's ask ourselves, who is Jesus sending me to? To go talk to about him. It could be a family member of yours. It could be a coworker at your job, or it could be a classmate in your school, who would that be? Now, I used to, I used to think doing evangelism and mission as something that, that I had to, something extra that I had to create, my, uh, create space in my calendar for. Something extra. But God is showing me that he's giving me opportunities all the time, all around me, in, in the everyday stuff, of life and jesus was remember jesus was just traveling you know he was thirsty and so asked engaged this woman just normal day-to-day stuff god is helping me ask what are the things that i'm already doing in my life on a regular basis and how can i do some of these things with a bit of intentionality with my non-christian friends some of us well most of us have 21 meals roughly a week some some of you probably more some of you less. But how many of these meals can I, with a, with a little bit of effort, can I have with my non-Christian friends? I'm already playing sports. I like to play sports. On Tuesday nights, we have a local, local elementary school gym reserved so that um, I, can, I can lead a, a whole bunch of kids. There's a whole bunch of kids in Toyosu in uh, playing games, some, you know, physically and you know, play basketball and stuff like that. And, they, and after that, and we adults play basketball. And I love doing that. You know, that's my only exercise. Um, I love doing that. But how can I intentionally invite my non-Christian friends to what I'm already doing? Invite them into, into my life and in the, in the life of the community as a church. Now, it does require risking a comfort. It does require risking sometimes our finances, sometimes even our reputation. Sometimes it, it does require taking risks, but isn't Jesus worthy of all of that? Now, when interacting with, with uh, these non-Christian friends I'm, I've come to love, I just, now I just ask a bunch of questions to, to, to hear about their lives, to hear about their, their families and their backgrounds and, and their job and, and where they went to school and just, just about anything. I just ask a bunch of questions. As I listen to their stories, I'm also asking the Holy Spirit to help me see where these people are seeking to be 
filled with? Where, where the broken cisterns in their lives that they have, that, that they are seeking satisfaction and happiness from? It doesn't matter how successful people look. It doesn't matter how beautiful and put together they look. It doesn't matter how well they look. If they don't have Jesus, they're thirsty. I guarantee you. If they don't have Jesus, if they don't know Jesus, they're thirsty. And if you, if you are patient enough and, and spend, spend enough time with them you'll, you'll, and bu- ask a bunch of questions, you'll start to hear the longing and thirst of their souls. And then you can be there for them and you can tell them, I know the, I know the only person who can fill that thirst for you. And that's Jesus. One of the guys that um, I've had lunches with, a uh, non-Christian friend, he's... Uh, we've been having lunches with, you know, lunches together for a couple of years now. He's always well-dressed, good-looking guy, um, nice family, a lot of brokenness as well. But people would know that uh, because he's just always well-dressed and good-looking and fairly successful at his work, and he's moving to America uh, to pursue greater success in his career. That's his source of identity and happiness and satisfaction. There's so many people like that in Japan. I've shared Jesus with him many times. He's not a believer yet. But I'm praying one day he will come to know Jesus is better than all these things that he's pursuing. And you know what's amazing? He's moving to a place in America where uh, a a pastor friend of mine is moving to, to start a church together with other people. With God is at work. 21 years ago, I left Japan and went, came to the United States to go to college. I could speak, speak very English. I, I <laughs> okay, it's my second language, okay? Come me some like you. My good friend Daniel knows um, how poorly I spoke back then. Full of hopes and dreams for the, for the future, but could speak very little English, and there was a group of Christians from uh, now Redeeming Grace Church, a church in Fairfax, a group of Christians who were willing to, to break through all these barriers that, that existed between us. I didn't speak the language, so the language barrier. I came from totally different culture, so that was probably weird uh, to them. All these things to show me how beautiful Jesus was through the way that they loved one another and through their love for me. They just included me in their lives. And I've come to know, I've come to, come to faith in Jesus and realize how amazing Jesus is. And now Jesus is calling, calling me back to, to my own people to tell, tell them, come and see Jesus, how amazing he is. It's not easy, right, to spend time with people who are different than us, people who hold different values, people who speak different languages, people who come from different cultures. It's not easy to spend time with those people, right? It's far easier to hang with our own people, people who are like us. But Jesus invites us to join him in his mission to give the eternal joy and satisfaction to all the peoples of the earth across all boundaries, Some of us are called to go across the ocean to be a part of that. Some of us are just called to go across the street in our neighborhood or across the cubicle in your your office, across the classroom in in your school. Wherever Jesus wants to send us, he's inviting us, he's calling us, he's sending us out to be a part of that. 
And I believe there are so many churches around here, right? But I believe there are so many more people, a plentiful harvest here in Fairfax. So I do pray that, that the Lord will fill Sojourn Church with his spirit so that you can experience Jesus and experience how amazing Jesus is so that he can send you out to reap that great harvest. Will you join him in his mission? Let's pray together. Father, we praise you and thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us this living water that satisfied us again and again. But we come to you thirsty again, so fill us afresh with the living water so that we may see the futility of pursuing broken cisterns and that we may be truly, completely, totally satisfied with Jesus. And as we experience Jesus, send us out in the power of your spirit to go tell others, come see Jesus. Come see a man who's known all about my sinfulness and still loved me and gave me something amazing. Would you do that for your glory, for your name's sake, for the advancement of the gospel in Fairfax, in Tokyo, and everywhere else in the world, wherever you would send us. Do this for your name's sake, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.